Hey, welcome to the Winter Growth Challenge podcast. My name is Nick Anderson, and I will be doing a podcast series on the Gospel of John. Along with me will be various college students and young adults who have served the Lord faithfully at the Western Kentucky University Baptist Campus Ministry, also known as the WKUBCM. Before we get into today's podcast, I would like to read the Reflection of the Winter Growth Challenge written by Yasmina Miradova. I read these reflections to give credit where credit is due. A summary of this of the version and uh, space for notes can be found at wkubcm.com. And here's what she has to say about John chapter 12. It's all too easy to shift our focus away from God without even noticing whether that's on what we can do, what others are doing, what Jesus can do for you, or even to other followers of Christ. But Jesus is the light, and that's what our focus should be on. We have the light, and we believe in Him. Taking a moment to see where your time is going, what you care about, and what you're prioritizing will show you where your focus is. Jesus is drawing the focus to himself, and all we have to do is listen. And with that, into the podcast. Hey, welcome back to the What's Your Growth Challenge podcast. Today I'm with Yasmina, and um, Yasmina, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Yasmina Muradova. I go to WKU. I'm on the leadership team at the BCM, part of the welcome team. And I go to the Gatton Academy, so I'm a high school senior. Yeah, we're glad to have you here on the podcast today, Yasmina. And um, today we'll be looking at John chapter 12. So I'm going to ask you, what did God show you when you were writing your reflection for this What's Your Growth Challenge? Well, when I was reading over John chapter 12, he really showed me different types of people and how they acted towards him, how they acted towards the world, and especially where their focus lay and what that resulted in, what that resulted in with their actions. Yeah, and just like, you see like three or four different people. You have Mary at the anointing. Um, at the very beginning, and then you have the triumphal entry, how everybody was seeing Jesus as the king of Israel, and then you have the Greeks who are seeking Jesus, and then you have um, those who struggle with unbelief. And so, is there anything in this chapter of John that stood out to you specifically? There was a lot of focus on verses 27 and 28. Just the fact that Jesus was so troubled, but despite that, he did the very thing that he was telling us to do. He gave up his life in order to glorify God. And just the fact that he was not a hypocrite in this. And he was very critical of the Pharisees for being hypocritical of what they were saying and what they were doing. But the fact, just to what extent... Jesus didn't do that, stood out. Yeah. And just like, what, one verse that stood out to me in particular, or the two, ver- two verses that stood out to me in particular was like, and Jesus said to, to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you still have the light, 
lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And just a reminder of that contrast we see in light and darkness that Jesus so often often uses to compare darkness to evil and sin and the light to the glory of God and the coming of Christ into the world. That light represents our salvation. Yeah, that verse actually reminded me a lot of a verse in Romans, and I don't remember exactly which one right now, but it was one that the people loved the darkness more than they loved the light. And just, we have the light still in the world, or we reflect the light still in the world. That is our job here on earth. But just to what extent that is true, that people right now, they love the darkness more than they love the light. And it really doesn't make much sense, but... We fall to that every day, choosing darkness over light. And just, yeah. it's an everyday struggle. Yeah, and in that, like, choosing darkness rather than light, you know, talk about a little bit in John chapter 1 about that comparison between darkness and light, about how, um, you know, the light talks about glory of Christ, that Christ illuminates the light. And that, you know, people don't like the light because you can see things. But at the same time, you see here in John chapter 12 that for the one who walks in the darkness does not know where they are going. And so... But when you live in darkness for so long, you become accustomed to it. And then when you come out into the light, it can hurt. Right. And it's just kind of... You have to get used to the light. You know, you, you go into like a movie theater, for example, in the middle, in the morning or something like that, and you're sitting in this movie theater watching a big giant TV, or a big giant projector screen for about, maybe about two hours, two and a half hours in this dark room. And then you walk outside whenever it's bright and sunny and then like your eyes like burn, like, ah, oh, my eyes, you know? <laughs> and so in the same way, once you get accustomed to the light. Once you, your eyes adjust, you get to see the true light, and that is Jesus. That is the only truth. The darkness, you can only hide in the darkness for so long. Yeah. It'll sooner or later be all exposed. So, whenever you were reading this chapter, is there anything that, like, challenged you in particularly? Uh, yeah, just how much there is. That's that's a problem every time I read anything in the Bible. There's just so much packed into every chapter, every verse. Especially being confined to just a paragraph of reflection. And it always feels like I'm missing something critical in it and that it's not enough. And trying to cut down a chapter into a paragraph and get a concrete message across. It was it was a struggle to choose what to focus on. <laughs> yeah. And just like and I, I think that's the purpose of this podcast to give authors of the Once a Girl Challenge an opportunity to for them to speak and expound a little bit more on their reflection, more or less. And so I'm glad I'm glad that we're doing this podcast so that we can dive deeper into the scriptures. Not necessarily on a spiritual level, but also just on a factual, intellectual level as well. 
So moving on to the next topic. So, what would you like others to learn from this chapter? Well, continuing on with what the reflection was about, paying attention to where your focus is and what you're doing with that. Because you could be doing the right thing for a while without having your heart in the right place. And then it kind of becomes empty. Like the crowds that met Jesus when he came to Jerusalem. They were excited. They were glorifying him. But they were glorifying him because they of what they thought he would do for them. That he would free them from Roman rule. That he was this king of Israel that they painted a picture in their head. And when he came on a donkey and he didn't meet that expectation. And he didn't do what they expected him to do. They ended up crucifying him. Spoiler alert. And the very people that cheered for him put him up on the cross. Even though because their hearts weren't in the right place. While they were glorifying him, they were focusing on what he could do for them. Yeah, yeah. And just a reminder of like, our hearts, how often we love to praise the Savior for who he is. But in reality, you know, every single time we, we read the word, it should convict us. And we can either agree with the terms that Jesus has uh, set up for us. Or we could deny the terms and deny the facts and walk away from this thing that we call faith. Yeah, no one likes being rebuked. <laughs> Nobody yeah. likes being convicted and told that, hey, what you're doing right here, that's wrong. And if our focus is on what we're doing and what that results in in our own lives, it's going to fall short. And it becomes so much easier to fall away from the truth. Which is why it needs to be on Jesus. Because when you value him above what you're doing, that is when you're able to listen to him and acknowledge that you, by nature, are gonna be wrong. And that it's much better for your own good to listen to what he says in his word. Even though sometimes it feels a lot easier to just run away from it all. Interesting. Interesting. That rebuking kind of aspect. That moves into our like, first question about the chapter. You know, just like we see this woman who's at Bethany at the same time Jesus was. And so Mary, basically, right, in, in the previous chapter, we see Lazarus being raised up from the dead. And Mary and Martha were opening up their home to Jesus. But Mary took a pound of expensive ointment and made, made from pure nard, which is like a very, very expensive herb. And um, basically anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. And instead of being praised for this action that Mary is doing, she is rebuked. And like even Judas Iscariot was like, like, why did this ointment, why was this ointment not sold for money and to, to give uh, to the poor? And then Jesus said, said this, you know, it's like, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. So my thought, so my question for you, you know, um, 
is what was significant about this anointing at Bethany? Well, first of all, the action of wiping the finest perfume on his feet, which when they wore sandals in dirt and mud, the feet got uh, gross. And she was using the finest perfume and she was using her hair to wipe it. It reminded me of when John the Baptist said that Jesus is the person whose straps of the sandals he was not fit to carry. And just to the point that Mary is glorifying God and showing Jesus the love that she has. And showing Jesus love results in a lot of illogical actions. Which Judas pointed out. Now, Judas's motivations were more personal. <laughs> and not just trying to understand what she was doing. But when we read this and we try to understand, if we don't look at it from the perspective of loving Jesus, it's hard to understand. But an anointing is what marked kings. So, but she's also for, he's also foreshadowing his own death, that he's preparing to be buried. So this act of love, at the same time, showed his future. It glorified him. It and in turn, it glorified her because she was just doing a selfless act of love. She was giving him the best of what she had, which is what we're called to do. Because Jesus deserves that love. But then in the next chapter, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And I just thought it was an interesting contrast of him as the king who is glorified. And also the servant who calls others to do the same. Jesus often calls us to be servants ourselves and it can be hard to understand or even in the moment just remember that it leads to a glorification of God and that in turn leads to our glorification and this shows how possible that is that Jesus was the greatest king and he was this person who was exalted by this woman and then he turns around and is a servant. And just this contrast of his different roles that he fulfills all at the same time. Thought that was interesting. The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And I think it's important to realize that even though Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man at the same time, being 100% God and 100% man, it's important that Jesus did not come into this um, expecting anything out of this this life here on earth because he was human and that he emptied himself out for us so that others may be saved. And how did he do that? He did that through teachings, miracles, actions, and encounters. And so, it's important to realize that in this first event, that Jesus was served, not because he forced anybody's hand, but because of what Jesus had done. And right again, in the previous chapter, um, we see Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, died. And Martha was, was like, or Mary and Martha were utterly just broken and just, just honestly just curious about what occurred. And um, 
And Okamorgia shows himself to the area emperor to show that the Son of God is glorified. And Mary, in turn, chapter, shows her thankfulness to Jesus. And sorry, an apology to Jesus by this looking at does that make sense? Yes. And she's yeah. she's thankful for what he's done, but she's not washing Lazarus' feet. She recognizes where the power, where it came from, and her focus is on Jesus and his honor. Right, because God's glory, God's glory is shown here. And so, we're moving on to the next section. Um... Uh, after the looking past the practical after it, uh, we see this triumphal picture. And so, what what was so odd about this entry is just Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus's actions and how quickly he not necessarily switches because he's always everything at once. But how quickly he puts an emphasis on one of his roles can give you whiplash. Because one day he's sitting at a table and he's being glorified and he tells Judas that she's doing the right thing. Mary's doing the right thing. And then the next he comes into town riding a donkey. Not even a donkey, a donkey's colt. That is not the way that someone that you'd expect someone who is so great and so deserving of praise to act. But here he is. And he is being praised as this king, as this one who was sent from the Lord, this Messiah. He's revealing himself to the world. And people are following him because of the signs that he's performing. And he's not really doing anything with it. He's not marching to the uh, to the government and demanding to take over that he's this great leader who has this great following. He's just going to Jerusalem. But when you understand that this is a king of the heavens, not just the earth, it starts to make a little bit more sense that his own focus is on the Father and on the eternal kingdom, not the temporary ones of this world. Yeah, I would like to add emphasis on that Jesus coming in on a donkey. And we see that in the other Gospels that we see the donkey was not, um, let's see, the most well-respected animal in this day for like a king or something like that you know especially one of Jesus' reputation it was important to see um, that this king rode in on a war horse or a horse or some big great animal of great stature but instead Jesus decides to ride in on a donkey and so I think he touched on it just a little bit it's just like how 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 mind-boggling that is. All I can think of when you say donkey is Shrek. Moving on to the next question, I think, uh, 
Who do the crowds think Jesus is, and what were they expecting Jesus to do? The crowds see Jesus, and they're thinking of this great and powerful King of Israel, which is what they call him, the King of Israel, he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're coming out there, they're shouting, they have this great festival, because they're expecting a king that will free them, a king that will stay there and rule over them and be this great leader. And they're expecting a warrior, one who will overpower the Romans. They followed him because that's what they thought he would do for them. He would follow along with their plan and he would do what they wanted him to do, what they were expecting him to do. But that's not who he was. He was a great king, but he wasn't the warrior that they thought he would be, which is why it's so weird that he rode in on a donkey. But they still followed him, and that really concerned uh, the Pharisees. But even because that's what, who the Pharisees thought he would be too, that the world was following him because he would do what they thought he would do, that he'd follow along with their plan. But that's not how it works. Unfortunately, God does not let us be the rulers and deciders of his plan. Well, fortunately, actually. Yeah, and just, um, just a reminder that that the Jews saw all of these wondrous things, such as, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus heals many people with diseases. People, people have demons cast out of them. And it's just a reminder, you know, ultimately that that Christ came not to serve the the wealthy or the well-off, but yet he came to save sinners and the lowly of the world, but the people who were not well-respected. Because, you know, I think Jesus says somewhere that a sick person does not, does not ignore his illnesses, but the sick person goes to a doctor. <laughs> and so Jesus had come to heal the sick, but not necessarily just on a physical level, but also on a spiritual level. We are all affected by the sickness we call sin and that in that we ought to we ought to get that treated, honestly. And this is how we get treated by coming to Christ and recognizing that we are humans and Jesus is God. Moving on to the next question. So in verse twenty five we see some Greeks trying to seek out Jesus and being interested in who this God-man Jesus was. And just a reminder, these Greeks were outside of the religious law and religious customs that they didn't really know what was going on necessarily because they were Greeks. But Jesus gives them the answer of basically this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so, in verse 25, we see this very interesting phrase of hating your life. So, I'm going to ask you, what does it mean to hate your life in this world? And why would anyone want to do this? Well, the second part's kind of easier to answer for eternal life. 
<laughs> Jesus flat out says that if you hate your life, you'll keep you'll keep it for eternal, for eternal life. And humans have been trying to avoid death for a long, long time. So why isn't everyone doing this? Well, because it's hard. Hating your life, first of all, does not mean that you despise your very existence and hate yourself. Because you're still God's creation. And if you love God, you can't hate his creations. In this passage, when Jesus is saying love, it's a bit easier to interpret it as what you treasure, what you protect, and what you value. So if you value your life more so than you value Jesus and what and his teachings, you'll end up losing it. So the definition of hate here isn't necessarily to despise, but more so what what are you trying to protect? What are you following here? Are you following the world and the ways of your life? Because we are sinners with a sinful nature that live in a sinful world. And sin is not something that God created. So if you're valuing that existence more than Jesus, you're going to lose your life. But if you're streaming towards God and away from this way that we live, that that is the path to eternal life. Looking towards God, hating the fact that we have to live in this world. It's the sinful world, the fact that this world is filled with sin and actively fighting against that. Yeah, just as we wrap up today's discussion, is there anything you would like to share with the listeners of this podcast? It's okay to get discouraged. It's okay to mess up. That's something that I struggle with a lot of falling into that trap of guilt and shame every time that you end up falling short because you're going to fall short over and over and over again. That's the reality of living in a sinful world. Jesus is always there and the word is always there to speak directly to you. Not just people in general, but directly uh, to you. Yeah, just something to remember because it can get hard to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to share a verse from uh, 1 Timothy 6. And it says, But we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. So, I think what Jesus is saying here is what good... Is it, is it to gain the whole world, but yet lose your soul? Because, you know, the only, the only chance of life that we have is Jesus. Because Jesus even says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you again, Nashmina, for joining me today on the podcast and just as we study John chapter 12. Thank you for doing this and for having me. Absolutely. And I'll, I guess I'll see you all next time. See ya. So, um, thank you so much for listening to the What's Your Growth Challenge podcast. If you enjoyed, please leave us a rating. If you are interested in podcasting yourself, then I would encourage you to look into Anchor, the podcast software where you can upload, edit, and record your podcast. Another special thanks to the WKUBCM for making this What's a Growth Challenge possible, along with its full-time staff members, Tommy Johnson, the campus minister, Jeannie Atwood, the administrative assistant, 
Collin, Sarah Wood, International Student Ministers, Brad and Kate Clarity, Campus Minister Associate and Intern, Maya DeHay, Campus Minister Associate, along with other interns, Carly Nunn, Noah Pike, Jake Fisher, Aaron Fisher, Parvish Raman Aliv. A special thanks to Yasmina Moradova for joining us today. Audio and sound engineer Gideon Martin, graphic design art Nick Anderson. And once again, thank you again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have a great day.